This is Laura from the Peaceful Life Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 274, Scrooged Movie Review. McBrien, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Culture World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, with the holidays coming up, we decided it would be a good idea to go back and watch some Christmas-themed films. And in keeping with our overall theme on the podcast this season, the films must be celebrating a milestone anniversary. So this week it was over to me. I went with Scrooged, starring Bill Murray, which was released in theaters 35 years ago. But before we get to our movie review, Derek, what pop culture have you been able to take in this past week, my friend? Well, Chris, I only had a chance to watch a couple of things this week. Uh, first That's not of all, like you. You usually have like a lot of stuff. Well, I, I'm busy doing other stuff. We're coming into the holidays, man. Yeah, and of course. honestly, my job's getting a little busier. So mm-hmm. uh, in any case, I had a little time to sit down with Netflix this week and I had a chance to watch the latest offering from The Crown, season six. They dropped four episodes of what they've announced to be their sixth and final season. Okay. So I had a chance to binge watch those and uh, the remaining episodes are going to be dropped in the middle of December. I think it's December 14th, but uh, I had a chance to watch that again. I, I, I feel the first couple of seasons of this show were outstanding and that it's sort of lost a little bit of its luster, but I think partly for me, it's because these latest seasons take place in my lifetime. So I sort of already have a recollection of what is happening. I, I remember, obviously I was much younger, but I, I, I'm familiar with the events and the people that are, are in them. Whereas with the first couple of seasons, it's all about, um, you know, Queen Elizabeth's ascension to the throne. It's like, well, I didn't know anything about any of that. So that was all new to me. And I found it fascinating and entertaining whereas these last couple episodes i've just been like yeah no i mean the performances are great but eh, i feel it's dropping off in quality a little bit it's still better than a lot of other stuff out there but not as good as it was which i find is a little unfortunate Mm -hmm. and then i had a chance to watch a movie again i was just randomly looking for something to watch hadn't uh hadn't really had my mind made up uh just i let the netflix algorithm suggest something to me and it suggested a a new movie that just dropped it I want to say it's a net. It was dropped to Netflix specifically. I, I don't. I'm mean, that. I could be wrong on that one, but I watched it on Netflix anyway. And it's called Maggie Moore, and then or Maggie Moore's with the brackets around the S. And it's uh like it's a murder mystery where basically um there are two women who both have the same name, Maggie Moore, hence the S at the beginning of the title, Maggie Moore's, uh, that are killed within a few days of each other. But it's sort of uh like we we the audience know exactly how how each of these women was killed and why and there's it's really a like a bungling sort of series of unfortunate events that don't play out anywhere near like people expect them to and then um 
the other half of the story is the the two police detectives that are are actually trying to figure out what's going on. And but it was quite entertainment. So it's got John Hamm as the main police officer and the guy who played Nate on Ted Lasso uh, as his partner. And Tina Fey is uh, the, one of the, the main women leads. She doesn't play one of the two murder victims, but she plays the neighbor of the first Mandy Moore that gets killed. So she ends up meeting John Hamm, the police officer, and they're sort of the two main stars of it. It was good. I mean, it, it wasn't a laugh out loud, haha comedy. It was sort of a like a light drama with some humorous parts. But honestly, I'm a fan of John Hamm. I'll watch him pretty much do anything. And Tina Fey's high up there too. So it was good. It, I think it was better than it had any right to be, but it was it was pretty good. I, I thought it was uh, it was a fun movie. So if you're looking for just a two hour movie, check it out. Like even just watch the the 30 second clip trailer that they show you on Netflix and that might that might pique your interest. So it's called Mandy Moore's. That was it for me. No docs this week. Derek, as you know, I'm an avid collector of trading cards. I have heard that. Actually, let me clarify that. I'm an avid collector of old trading cards. I should be very specific here. Uh, I've been working on finishing a few sets recently, namely 1977 Star Wars and 1980 Empire Strikes Back. Now, since I'm Canadian, I'm not collecting the tops cards. We have a Canadian version of Tops up here in Canada called Opeachy, which I know you're aware of because the cards are in English and French. Now, the thing is, I don't know the exact production numbers, but I mean, I'd hazard a guess there's probably only about 10% of the production run compared to American Tops cards. Just a guess on my part. I just figure since Canada's population is like 10% of the U.S., Makes sense, Opeachy produced like a tenth of the run that the American cards did. Needless to say, Opeachy cards are more rare and let me tell you, much harder to complete, you know. But, uh, and the other thing is, any vendors that deal in non-sports trading cards usually don't have a lot of these things just laying around. Like, and they never take them to trade shows. So Derek, you and I were talking about this recently. Like you made some good points about why most vendors don't take these old Star Wars and Empire OPG cards to shows because it just takes up valuable space on the table, right? Absolutely. You know, so I came down to Toronto recently. You and I spent a whole day going around the city looking for these Star Wars cards. They're pretty hard to come by. I did score some pretty cool stickers from the sets when I came down there with you. But I just wanted to mention, so, so, so like I'm on like Facebook and I see this thing come up on Marketplace and they're like, hey, we have this whole set of Empire Strikes Back cards. And it's in like a small town right near where I live. There's a small town outside of Barrie called Stainer here in Ontario. And there's this thrift store that has these Empire Strikes Back cards. So I go over there. It's called the Final Lap Thrift Store. I want to give them a shout out because I go there and they've got the whole Series 1 set and they're just selling it as a full set. And I'm, just not, I'm not interested in that. I want some singles. And then just like at all those trade shows, the guy's like, hmm, you got me thinking. Let me go in the back. I think I got something back there. <laughs> and I'm like, nice. okay. So he goes in the back and he comes out with this little box and I open it up and it's just got all kinds of OPG Empire Strikes Back cards. Oh, nice. So I'm like, oh, I'm going through them and they're in really good shape too. So he, and he gave me a really good deal because I mean, nobody buys these things off them. So I'm getting closer and closer to finishing my sets. I'm so close. So nice. anyway, I like, I like how you said, you don't want to just buy the whole set. No, finding the missing cards is half the fun of collecting, it whether really it is, whether you're collecting star Wars cards, baseball cards, or for me, it's comic books like that. Yeah. To me, that's half the fun of collecting is finding those missing 
issues or cards or whatever it is you happen to collect. Yeah, that, that's half the fun is the hunt. I've been working on it for years, so I haven't got there yet. But uh, when I finally get to that last card of both ones, it's going to be so good. I also found a guy on eBay recently, and then same thing. He Like, I bought a sticker off of him. And then he was like, are you interested in, like, other Star Wars cards? Because I think I got some. I don't have any listed. I'm like, again, like, I don't, again, they're just not popular, I guess. So he puts together, I put together my list and I sent it to him. He's like, oh, yeah, I got most of those. He doesn't even nice. have them listed. Like, I just, I don't know. So, yeah, when I get them all completed, we'll have a big party. That's for sure. I'm such a nerd. Um, I also have this. Here's your dad joke of the week. So, Derek, since we're doing Scrooged this week and it's a retelling of a Christmas carol, mm-hmm. I thought it would be a good idea to do a Christmas carol joke for you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, so Derek. Remember, A Christmas Carol is a family-friendly story. Oh, 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 this is not going to go over well. So, Derek, who's the most popular character in the adult film version of A Christmas Carol? Now, you know how they, they do these these adult film yeah. versions of popular yeah. movies. Let me, remember, think. Let me think. Let me think. Remember me there was like Raiders of the Lost yeah. and uh, Glad like there's all those like adult movies they they, they apparently did like an adult version of a christmas carol so who's the most popular character in the adult film version is it the ghost of christmas (laughs) no but that's pretty good oh no it's 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 actually not so tiny tim (laughs) wow i i could see how that guy would be popular oh yeah I've always appreciated about you is your sense of humor. We got a bleeder! 36, does that include me? Because if you've seen one, you've seen them all. Hey, you know what, man? I gotta take one more turn around the horn here. Can fart jokes. Fine. Be in the Why? Hey, try to just on your way through the parking lot. Join the club. What day did the Lord create Spinal Tap? And why couldn't he rest on that day, too? You know, with the holiday. That's yeah. a good drop, man. I like that you threw in Greg Martin in there. Yeah, so uh, Greg's right. a good buddy, right? So he had a, that was a good you one. Should do a, you should do a drop that's all Greg's best quotes since he's been on our show. Right. It would be mostly bleeps, but it would still be fun. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, he's he's much like my joke I just told. It's like <laughs> not appropriate all the time. So I, I was thinking, you know, Christmas is coming up soon. So, you know, you and I got talking. We thought it'd be a good idea to look back at some like holiday mo- Christmas movies. But the hitch is they need to be celebrating milestone anniversaries, you know, to keep with our overall theme here in season eight of the podcast. So yep. last episode, you had us watch Love Actually came out in 2003, 20 years ago, 20 years ago. This time it was over to me. So, um, you know, I did what I usually do. I went with a movie that came out prior to 1989. Shocker. Uh, I wanted us to go back and review the Bill Murray movie, Scrooged. came out in, uh, 35 years ago. Debuted in theaters on November the 23rd, 1988. I actually saw this movie in the theater when it debuted. And the Me funny, too. funny enough, I have not seen it since. Really? Yeah. I know you mentioned you saw it in the theater when it first came out and you have watched it since. Oh, many times. Yeah. This one I watch almost every year. I, one of the things I've always thought when it comes to this movie is, like, to me, it never seemed to be one of those perennial movies that everyone loves to watch. You know, like, every year people watch It's a Wonderful Life or Miracle on 34th Street or Christmas Vacation, although I'm not a big fan of that movie, funny enough. 
but that's you know for another podcast i'm sure but anyway scrooge never really seemed to be on everyone's radar as a christmas movie that you watch over and over every year at christmas although you watch it every year don't you mostly yeah Yeah. i uh i find this is a good one i'll be honest you know when i usually watch it is when Mm -hmm. i'm wrapping christmas presents because i've seen the movie so many times i don't have to watch it to enjoy it i just have to listen to it right and so usually what i do that's sort of my tradition is when i'm wrapping christmas presents i usually throw a christmas movie on in the background Nine times out of ten, it's this one because I I know that I can still sort of chuckle at the the scenes and the dialogue without having to watch the scene. So what, and then there's what, certain scenes that I like that when they're coming up, I stop and I mm-hmm. watch. But uh, but I remember the last definitely the last two years before this one, when I watched this was when I was wrapping Christmas. Christmas. So what's your quick take on the film? My traditional quick take or my new quick take? Well, let's go with the traditional. Quick yeah, take. traditional. So I, I enjoy it. I think uh, Bill Murray's great in it. You can. De- Definitely tell that there's a lot of stuff in here that feels improvisational and probably was not in the script or was was embellished from what was in the script. I totally, for some reason, had no memory that it was directed by Richard Donner. That was a little bit of a surprise when I watched it just the other night. And at the end, it says directed by Richard Donner. I'm like, really? Just, I mean, it made sense because there's a bunch of performers in here, including Richard Donner himself, who make on-screen appearances. It's like, like any, like we talk about this a lot. How a lot of um, directors work with the same performers over and over again right. and so Richard Donner's no no exception to that he's got a sort of his, his staple crew and most of them are in this so I, I should have figured that out but uh no I enjoy it I mean it's the tra- traditional story uh with a well I was gonna say a modern twist but it's 35 years old a, a, an updated twist uh an updated retelling at the I time think, it was a modern at the twist. time very absolutely updated. yeah, yeah. Um, I, I like just about everybody in the cast I like that there's a lot of like um performers and actors and and singers that play themselves that that whole bit with lee majors which i know we'll talk about is to me like the movie can only get worse after that because that's a pretty high point in the movie um but uh no it's and and you know every year you watch it over and over again you sort of like uh, we were i was watching with my wife and we're you know when the credits start to roll at the end and she's like how's alfrey woodard like 10th Billy in this movie like she's a big deal and we're like yeah but she wasn't such a big deal in 88 so it's nice to see that some people after this went on to still have a tremendous amount of success and uh, but again it had like some really big names of people who were who were older and bigger performers at the time so no I, I mean this this for me is one I like I, I have new hot takes if you will that we can discuss mm-hmm. later today but overall I, I I this is a staple for me I watch it a lot I enjoy it a lot I only ever watch it once a year because I think that's enough yeah uh, it helps if you're a fan of big uh, if you're a fan of Bill Murray which I am mm-hmm. um, me too. yeah and it's a Christmas movie I mean who doesn't like a good Christmas movie I certainly do but you know like I said I I hadn't seen this movie since it debuted in the theater 35 years ago and like I say, I, I was trying to figure out, like, you know, why hasn't it really caught on as a super popular Christmas movie? And watching it this this week, I get it. It's not very good. That's my take. You know, it. I, I didn't think this movie was very good. So coming into my viewing this week, the only thing I remembered about this movie was the, the Christmas parody TV specials at the beginning. You alluded to them already. Yeah. So there was that. And then also the other thing I remembered was Carol Kane punching Bill Murray. (laughs) I remember those two things. That was good. And I just watched it last night for the first time in 35 years. And I get it. Those were literally the only two good parts of this movie. Like I get the whole retelling of A Christmas Carol. Like that's cool. Like 
you know, it's been done and redone time and again. Oh, it was also redone by my idol, Henry Winkler. He starred in the 1979 um, TV movie, An American Christmas Carol, which they shot up here in Canada, Derek, by the way, in Elora, Ontario. I don't know if you know that, but I did not know that. Yeah, that was one take. But as for Scrooged, I didn't enjoy it. I didn't hate it. My wife did. We were watching it and she's like, oh my God, I hate this. Had she not seen it before? She had, I think, or at least seen parts of it, but we're watching it. She's like, this sucks. And, but, but for me, like I didn't hate it. I just, it's not a very good movie. It's supposed to be a comedy, except the problem is it's not funny. Other than those TV parodies at the beginning. To me, the whole movie is about pain and anger. <laughs> so well but i mean you got to think about the source material too right like a christmas carol the original the book is not a comedy so they're they're already trying to take this material that it has a, a very specific message to it and and try to make it humorous which you can certainly respect the attempt and and i do find that there are parts in this that are funny but yeah i i agree with you that this isn't a laugh out loud ha ha comedy it has some funny moments and again, Bill Murray will always find ways to make you laugh, even if they're probably unintentional or, or not what the script maybe calls for in that scene. But um, no, See, I, I didn't I, think I, he did here. I, I didn't think there was once where I laughed because of Bill Murray. Really? Yeah, I didn't think okay. so. What made me laugh was the movie promo with Lee Majors. Oh, my God. Shooting so up those elves. What was it they called? The Night the Reindeer Died. Like, that was good. And Robert Goulet in that old-fashioned Cajun, Cajun Christmas. Christmas. That was pretty funny. And I really, really liked almost like the inspired casting of the TV A Christmas Carol. Buddy Hackett was Scrooge. Like, thank <laughs> God. And Jamie Farr was Jacob Marley. And yep. Mary Lou Retton as Tiny Tim. Like, as if. He's supposed to be this sick kid on crutches. And she's like one of the greatest gymnasts ever. And she's doing all these cartwheels down the street. Like, I genuinely laughed at that. Although, you know, like, I don't know if you've seen what's going on with Mary Lou Retton recently. She's been really sick. Eh? The last little while. I did not know that. Yeah, so you can see this through a different light. But but back in 1988, like, she was the antithesis of Tiny Tim. So I really liked that. I liked the, the TV special. That, that was good. And also, like I said, when Carol Kane was punching out Bill Murray, I mean, at one point, I think she... Gives him an uppercut with a toaster. like. But the thing is, too, like I absolutely love Carol Kane. She might yeah, be great. one of the most underrated actresses of all time. I love, love, love Carol Kane. I would watch her in anything. Well, she's uh, she's recently reappeared and made, or rather made an appearance on uh, one of the new Star Trek TV shows, uh, Strange New Worlds. She's a part mm-hmm. of the cast in the second season. Not a huge part, but she's got, you know, like any other... Star Trek show. It's an ensemble show, so everybody has their moments mm-hmm. to shine. So she's been added to the primary cast. So if you're looking to see her in something that's recent that you might actually enjoy, Star Trek Strange New World Seasons 2. Nice. Okay, so this film was made on a budget of $32 million. It took in $60 million at the domestic U.S. box office. That was good enough for 14th place that year. The number one movie in 1988 was Who Framed Roger Rabbit? And then Coming to America was number two, Good Morning Vietnam, Big, and Crocodile Dundee 2 were the top five. Um, So yeah, like I say, Scrooge was down at 14. It finished just behind Rambo 3, but ahead of Bull Durham. So it did all right. So I want to talk a little bit about the cast. 
Okay. Bill Murray. We got to start with him, obviously. He might be my single favorite actor from the 80s. He was in four of my all-time favorite movies. Stripes, Caddyshack, Ghostbusters, and of course, Meatballs. Of course, Meatballs. Yeah. So it goes without saying, I am a huge Bill fan of his work. And I think he does like a decent job here, but the movie just doesn't work. Like... I think, like we mentioned, that TV executive is sort of an interesting modern take, you know, on the Dickens story, you know, from 1988 standpoint, of course. Mm-hmm. I, it'd be interesting if they did it today, if they redid this story today, because, I mean, you know, A Christmas Carol just keeps being redone or the, the concept. Yeah. If they did it today, I wonder what this, what he would be. Have to be a politician. Oh, you think so? Ooh, I, interesting. I think that's how you go. It has to be a world, maybe not a world leader, but someone who is... Uh, in the public eye, uh, has a public platform. Um, and, and because I think for the story to work best, like you got to think it's a, it's a, it's a commentary on capitalism, right? It's, it's, it's all about greed and, 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 and capitalism, which the Grinch, the the Grinch story is based a hundred percent on a Christmas Carol. Yeah, for sure. And so to have it in the 80s to have it be a television executive i think works very well and the way they they frame it is is great i think if you remade this today i think that nobody seems more greedy than a politician it, i think i think a lot of people could easily wrap their head around that and i also think that part of what makes the story work best is that you believe that the character of scrooge in this case frank cross genuinely feels remorse and genuinely wants to take steps to undo the terrible things that they have done and to ease the suffering of those they have hurt. And I think if you were to remake this today and you have the person be a politician, you put them in a position through the course of the story where should they experience that um, awakening and, and, and that remorse that they are then in a position to actually implement change in a way that is meaningful. And so I think I think that would go over well. Yeah, they could remake it today with like Donald Trump as like Scrooge. Can you imagine? Oh my God. So the thing with Bill Murray in this, I think the thing that always seemed to work with Bill Murray was he had this ability to be a bit gruff and aloof, but there was mm-hmm. always an underlying notion with him that he's just kidding. You know what I mean? Like that always came off like you didn't take him too seriously. And I really wish they tapped into that a bit more here. It might have made this whole thing a bit more palatable to me. And and, and so there was that. And also he has like zero chemistry with the other actors. And with all of his talent, he cannot play a romantic scene for the life of him. You see it again and again in Ghostbusters, in Stripes, in Meatballs. Anytime that it calls for chemistry with his leading lady, the movie falls flat always with him. Mm-hmm. You know, right? Like, you know? Yeah. And I, my wife and I commented on this when we were watching it this week as we said, you know, I don't believe for a second that Karen Allen would, number one, have fallen for him in the first place, but definitely would not be interested in, in reconnecting with him these all these years later as the story depicts mm-hmm. and and largely i think it's to your point i don't think bill murray's character comes across as likable or even even you know like well i mean he's not supposed to be likable but i mean 
they've set it up that the two of them at least are supposed to have this chemistry and this relationship and she's willing to look past his ambitions and all the rest of that. I didn't get that sense at all. I kept thinking like, why was she ever with this guy? Like mm-hmm. it seemed went through the course of the flashback that she had been with him for like three or four years. And I was like, how could she, st- how could she stand being with him for that long? But whatever mm-hmm. it is, what it is. So speaking of Karen Allen, man, she was something, wasn't she? Yeah, how was she not a bigger actress? Like, like, yeah, you talk about underrated actresses. Like, I will always love her because, I mean, she was Marion Ravenwood in Raiders. But I also liked her in Animal House and Starman. But she never achieved huge stardom as an actress. No. Maybe she just doesn't look like your typical glamorous movie star. But, man, is she beautiful and super talented. I, I felt, actually, she was pretty well cast here. I really, I just don't think yeah. she was given enough she did to a do. Good job. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Her character seemed like an afterthought at times in this story, which is too bad. It's a waste. You know, I think she could have helped elevate this movie to another level if she had been used better. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Alfre Woodard, you mentioned, I want to go back to her for a second. She has been a working actress forever. Uh, yep. She did a lot of TV. Probably most people know her from like St. Elsewhere or Desperate Housewives. You know, now she was nominated for a Best Supporting Actress Oscar back in 1984. She was in a film called Cross Creek. It was this dumb movie with the, who was that? Mary Steenburgen and uh, Peter Coyote were in it. Okay. But uh, apparently, apparently Alfrey Woodard was was good in it, though. So go figure. But uh, she was basically the Bob Cratchit character here in this Mm -hmm. story. And her son is Tiny Tim. Instead of not being able to walk, he just doesn't speak. One thing, though, about that family, I loved that Mabel King was her mom. So she was the mom on What's Happening. I loved her on that show. Oh, my God. And she was, I'll never forget, she was Steve Martin's mom in The Jerk. (laughs) The scene when she tells him that he's not their natural born son. And he's like, like, you mean I'm going to stay this color? (laughs) And she goes, son, I'd love you if you were the color of a baboon's. I just love Fable King. Oh, man, she was awesome. So I like that whole dynamic, too. Again, there was so many good pieces here. It just like it didn't add up to anything. I don't know. Oh, one cameo that I noticed when Bill Murray was walking down the street and there's those street musicians playing. Mm -hmm. Paul Schaefer was one of them. Yeah. I spotted him right away. It's like he's like it's like a blink and you'll miss some scene. But I noticed him right away. Um, Want to go back to Carol King. Too, yep. just because I love her so much. One of my all-time favorites. Oh, man. She is so original and unique. Probably best known as Simka on Taxi. Yeah, I would think so. You know, for that role when she was married to Andy Kaufman's uh, Latka. But she was also in The Princess Bride. I was going to say, she was in The Princess Bride, yeah. yeah. And and she was also in one of my all-time favorite movies, Ishtar. So she's got that going for her, in my books, at least. She was a complete, total scene-stealer. In this movie. Oh, yeah, no question. And let me tell you, that's not easy to do when you're on screen with Bill Murray. You know, mm-hmm. that's tough. But she looks like Glinda the Good Witch of the North from The Wizard of Oz. That's what she reminded me of. She doesn't act like her, that's for sure. No. But, oh, my God, she is just a piece of work. Oh, man, I liked her. Um, who else? Oh, Bobcat Goldthwait. I want to mention him, too. Like, wh- what was the deal with that guy? He was one weird guy. He was really original. But really weird. He always had this shtick where he would talk like he was brain damaged or something. I don't know what his thing was. I remember him 
probably best from One Crazy Summer and the Police Academy sequels. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna, that's exactly it. Both of those movies for sure. He was in a bunch of Twisted Sister videos too. I remember. Oh, really? That. Yeah, so, I, I remember, remember he that. did a whole bunch of them. But uh, he was a little bit toned down here, like from his usual kind of over the top act. Which is, uh, and I think that's why I liked him more in this. Yeah. Is, is he was toned down enough point. that you could, like, because part of his shtick was he'd always like mumble, you know, and he'd go real loud. And it was like, you can never understand what he was saying. And I, I think that was part of the humor was you're not supposed to always understand what he was saying or, and, but where at least here he sort of did that, but it was still clear enough that you could understand him. And he, obviously the way they had his character, it was like an, a business executive. He was in a suit and a tie. I mean, obviously he was disheveled by the end, but he was relatively clean cut where a lot of the, the roles that he had in his onstage up performance, he always was like, he always looked like a guy who just woke up in a gutter. So it was, it was interesting to see him in this one where it was like, he was a little more clean cut, a little bit more toned down. And I, th- I think that worked. I think that I think that worked better for him, but anyway, that's just my opinion. We should probably mention Bill Murray's real life brothers. Yeah. It's all families. In this yeah. movie. So, so he actually had five brothers in total. Three of them were actors and those three appear in the movie here. Mm-hmm. Brian Doyle Murray, probably the best known of his brothers. Of his brothers, I would think he plays the dad in the flashback, right? When the, the ghost I, takes him back to his childhood, I always remember him as uh, in Wayne's World. He was played Noah yes. Vanderhoff, the guy yes. who ran the arcade. Yeah, um, and of course he was in Caddyshack. Yep. He was the guy who ran the tuck shop, right? He did. And then Joel Murray was in One Crazy Summer. He was also yep. in Dharma and Greg. If you remember, I he never watched there. it, but I remember him from One Crazy Summer. Uh, most recently, he's been on tour with Ryan Stiles and Greg Proops in Who's Live Anyway. I actually oh, got nice. to see them. They came to Canada a couple of years ago. It was pretty good. And then John Murray, probably the least well-known of the acting brothers, although he did get the lead role in a comedy film. Both you and I like this one. I know it, Derek. It was uh, He was Dana Cannon in Moving Violations. Oh, geez. If you remember I, did, that. I haven't seen that since, it, yeah. since the 80s. But uh, Bill Murray's other two brothers are Andy Murray and Edward Murray. Edward died a few years back, uh, but but he worked at a golf course and he was the inspiration for Caddyshack. He looks just like Brian Doyle Murray. They look nice. like, like they're spitting images of each other. But um, but yeah, so that was the brothers. I want to mention David Johansson, probably right. best known to people as Buster Poindexter. Right. From the song Hot, 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 which by the way, was a huge staple when I used to DJ weddings back in the let, day, Derek. Oh my let God. me tell you, I f-ing hate that song. <laughs> it really? <laughs> oh, it drives me up the wall. I f-ing hate that song. <laughs> oh my God. And I think, you know why I think I largely why, hate it? Why do you hate it so much? because of the stupid video. I think, that's why, in part, I hate the song so much is the video is just so dumb. That, believe me, dumb was not the word I wanted to use, but I, I figured after swearing already, I had to say myself a little bit. You know, he he is a real original guy, though. You got to give oh, him hey, that. Like, my hat's off to him for being yeah. able to come up with this, but it's just like, oh, my God. No. God, he's got he's got a ton of energy, even in, in his performance in this film. Ton of energy. Like, he just brings it. Yeah. He does not. He doesn't dial it in. Like he really brings it. I want to mention uh, Mary Ellen Trainer. She's got a really small part here as a TV exec. The only reason I just want to mention her because she was the mom in The Goonies, right? Which is a, just a Gen X staple and a personal favorite, obviously. Mm-hmm. I I feel like this movie just should have been better. 
Like if you look at all the separate parts that we've talked about, Carol Kane, the Murray brothers, that walking, talking corpse with his boss, Buster Poindexter, the the source material that it comes from, Bill Murray, you know, th- that hilarious TV spoof. At the, all of this should have added up to more, but it doesn't. I don't know. I, I, I like it. I think, so I agree with you, but I don't agree with you. I agree with you that it's sort of flat, but I think for me, I, I sort of see it as a, as a amalgamation of the components and I enjoy the components enough that that's good enough for me. That's, that's part of the reason I like to watch it over and over again is I like, like it's all the different, the interactions with the different ghosts and the various people and the, it, it almost feels like, you know, it almost feels like a little sketch show where each one is another little bit. Here's a mm-hmm. bit, here's a bit, here's a bit, here's the TV parodies and here's the, this and that. Um, so I, I mean, I, I definitely, enjoy it but no you're right i i do feel that it, it certainly especially now looking back at it you sort of see some of the holes and you're like mm, man you know like there, there were opportunities here to make it better but um I, I think at the time it was like obviously it was a hit it made money and people people do remember it and it does get replayed at christmas time on tv so you know it's making tons of cash but let me let me tell you this mm-hmm. so i was saying i i have sort of a hot take and um when i watch this this year and I'm sort of watching it through today's lens and it sort of dawned on me that really what this movie is 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 saying or how it comes across for someone who maybe has never seen it before and is watching for the first time is hey there's this white guy who's never had to worry about money who all of a sudden realizes there are poor people in the world and now because old whitey has learned this He's going to fix the problem. And it's like, yeah, duh. Thanks for coming around. And it, when you sort of look at it from that point of view, it's it really diminishes what should be, uh, you know, a, an, an awe-inspiring like, oh, my God, he, he's got a change of heart. And it's it just it really as I'm watching it sort of with the today's lens, it comes across like this idea of, you know, oh, well. Guess what? I Guess what? I learned there was slavery in the past and that was bad. It's like, you know, sort of like that's almost how it comes across. Like I've learned that, you know, there were these bad things that happened in the world around me. It's like, yeah, you've lived a privileged life that nobody else could have possibly lived. And now that you feel you've discovered this, you can solve the problem. And uh, I mean, I know that wasn't the intent, but it you can really see it through that lens if you want to. And it's not hard to get there uh, if, if if you're looking at it sort of from that perspective. And I think that's something that may ultimately hurt this movie down the road as as it continues to age. Is I, th- I think more and more people who are coming to it new, uh, especially like younger people, I think that's how they're going to read it. And I think they're that's why it's probably not going to – um, be a, a favorite for a lot of younger people. That's an interesting take, especially when you said if they were to remake it today, to make uh, a politician be the lead character. So then would it be like an old white politician who then suddenly I, well, realizes think, all these same things? Like, I, Well, and I think, yeah, I think for it to, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it, it's, it's tough source material in the sense of, Given how old the source material is, the world has changed. Well, 
some things have changed, some things have not. Yeah, no kidding. It's, uh, but it's harder to have that feel-good ending that quickly and have it be accepted by your viewing audience. Now, if you're going to show this to a whole bunch of rich white people, sure, great. They're, they may take away the message that's intended. But if you're trying to market it worldwide to an audience of not rich white people, it's a, it's a much tougher sell. I find it interesting you mentioned the source material because I generally don't like redoing things, as you know, like reboots and reimaginings and all that crap. But I actually like the idea of retelling some of the classics, like this one, like A Christmas Carol. It's it's actually good source material to lean on in general. Mm-hmm. I remember I once did a uh, a radio play with the Niagara Falls Music Theater Society. We did a radio play of A Christmas Carol live on Christmas Eve. I played I multiple parts. I was just going to say, who did you play? What was the main Bob part? Bob Cratchit was the main part, but I also did the voice of Tiny Tim and a few other things. But uh, yeah, no, I... Were, I, were I, you Tiny Tim or not so Tiny Tim? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know it. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I want to mention the, the corpse scene. I just want to go back to that because the special effects, obviously all practical. All practical effects, yeah. I love the makeup work on John Forsyth's corpse in that scene. So Thomas Berman did the makeup. Now he previously worked on Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the remake from 78. Mm -hmm. He did Teen Wolf, Howard the Duck, but probably the most famous makeup work of his career, he did Sloth from the Goonies. Nice. Nice, but he was nominated for best makeup for this film for an Oscar. Good for him. Yeah, no, he didn't win. It was, it was, he was up against uh, Coming to America, Rick Baker, and Beetlejuice, and Beetlejuice won. Uh, You could argue that either way, but. Yeah. um, So I'm just wondering now, you mentioned, you know, kind of looking at this movie from today's lens, anything that was a little bit dated for you? Oh my God, so much stuff. (laughs) I'm glad you brought this up. Yeah. So my wife and I were sort of talking about this during the movie. Um, where we were, where I pointed, we were pointing out things, but we were saying how first we talked about the pop culture references, the, mm-hmm. the, the cameos by the actors, um, like that people wouldn't like, people wouldn't necessarily know who Lee majors is. He wouldn't have the same impact today no. if, as he did in the eighties, like in the eighties, he was the $6 million man. He was, you know, the, the fall most guy. famous action yeah. TV star. Like yeah. he was a big deal. Uh, I mean, you get that from the way that, 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 that he plays himself in this movie, but just that in general. And then things like the solid gold dancers, nobody's going to know what what was solid gold and why were there solid gold dancers? And why is this a big deal? You know, things like that. There was a lot of those eighties references that were in there that at the time made perfect sense and were played for laughs, you know, the over the top extreme, even the Mary Lou Retton reference. It's like, again, like you said, at the time, Olympic gymnast, gold medalist, America's sweetheart. Like, of course, all these people are going to be in this thing. And that just emphasizes how over the top it was. But I don't think that a younger audience is going to feel that same way and get that same. You know, another one out of it. You know, another one that jumped out the scene where Bill Murray is hallucinating and thinks he sees a guy on fire. And he he goes over and grabs the bucket of water and he throws like the bucket of water on the guy to put the fire out. And then he realizes he's not on fire. And he's like, Oh, sorry. I thought you were Richard Pryor. Yeah. Like totally dated joke. joke. Richard Pryor lit himself on fire back in 1980. Yeah. No. Um, And then of course there's just the, the, the 
80s-ness of it. Like, I love that he was drinking Bacardi with Tab. Tab Cola. Yes, even like, my wife pointed that out. She's like, Tab, what the hell? I was like, like he's before they had Diet Coke. Now, in all fairness, I think some young people will at least know what Tab is because Back to the Future makes a joke about Tab. So I think if you're if you're a fan of 80s pop culture, that reference, like, not that that's even a reference as much as just a product placement, but I, I don't think that might seem as odd. Um, but again, it was just the... The another another dated thing about that tab scene was do business executives still have a ton of alcohol readily available in their offices? I feel like that's something that doesn't offices? happen anymore. Like it seems dated. Yeah. I mean, do they even still have offices? Like I, I work at true. a bank and and most of the vice presidents that that I see and have interactions with. They're on the shared workspace floor with everybody else. They don't have a private office. When they have private confidential calls, they go to a conference room, but they no longer have offices. I mean, that may not be typical across the, uh, you know, business world, but that's that's at least how it is in in the bank where I work. Mm-hmm. But uh, and it just yeah. seemed like they all had like booze. Like booze was like a big thing, like in business. And, and back all their then. executives were men. Like yeah, there was true. Like all the again, you know, it stayed. And and for the most part, I mean, at least to the to the to the credit of this movie, when they have that board meeting at the beginning where he's showing them the commercials and stuff, there's a black guy and a woman. So I'm like, okay, there's a tiny bit of representation there, but the overwhelming majority of the people in there are all white guys. But again, that was the 80s. That's, that's what it was. There was also that flashback to like 1955 and the mom was smoking while she was pregnant. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. And then when he's he's working as it, I guess, like an intern at that Christmas party. And it's again, it's uh, there's alcohol and the men are feeling up the women who are obviously women who are working at that office. So they're all just and the one woman's photocopying her butt and handing them out to people. It's, you know, it's it, again, that's that's of of its time. And I think it's played for laughs in a way that. And again, I'm probably going to get blessed for saying this, but in an innocent enough way that it's sort of like, hey, this is how it was. I'm not excusing it, but I'm pretty sure that is how it was. One uh, thing I could relate to, there was the, the the flashback when Bill Murray was a kid. He would basically spend his entire childhood watching TV. Yes. Just like me. I did that. I can relate to that. That was the other thing is there was a lot of references to 80s TV. Like they were playing Trivial Pursuit, which again, I don't think people are gonna play games like that anymore because they have the world's knowledge in their fingertips on the end of their mobile phones. Why would you play a Trivial Pursuit game when you just look up the answers? But they asked him a question about Gilligan's Island, which again, I think in the 80s, everybody was watching Gilligan's Island. It was still on in reruns. People were familiar with it. Today, I don't think your movie going audience is necessarily going to know the answer is the SS Minnow. Of course, in the 80s, everyone in the audience knew that. Yeah, now they wouldn't. Then also, there was a scene where there was a TV playing in the background and Wheel of Fortune was on. And Pat Sajak looks so young. (laughs) I was like, oh, my God, it was amazing. The other thing I wanted to mention before we wrap things up, at the the end of the film, they used live on this live TV show as a plot device. Yeah. This has been done before, uh, you know, where, where characters interrupt a live TV show sort of in the climax of the film. And the two that stood out to me when I was watching this, I was like, oh man, I've seen this before. You know, my favorite year when Alan Swan and Benji Stone fight the gangsters on TV. Right. Love that. That was a great movie. Thanks for having me watch that one. Um, We'll have to do like hidden gem movies or something at some point. That one's in. But another movie where this happened was on, was in Tootsie. 
Yeah, and Tootsie, which also had Bill Murray. Yeah, because Dorothy Michaels has that big reveal on live TV. But, that is uh, one nutty hospital. <laughs> exactly, that was his line, right? Yeah. But I, but I don't know, come back to this movie, that whole final scene on live TV, it was dumb. It was too long. I, I did feel it was too long. And now. the thing was, for me, it felt it had zero heart. Like, he's, he's out there and he's saying his lines. Bill Murray's saying his lines, but there's no heart in his performance. And that, and then the whole thing when they drag the kid out and he talks, and it's all so forced, you know? I don't know. Well, uh, and what I kept thinking was, okay, this is all well and good. He's had this epiphany. He's been scared straight. But I don't have any reason to believe that after a good night's sleep and he sobers up, that he's going to change his ways. He's just going to go, you know what? That was a crazy night. I'm going to go back to doing what I, what I know how to do, which is being a dick and treating people badly and making lots of money. I, I don't necessarily believe that he's, he has experienced anything that would change his life permanently, but and what, was the thing, what was the thing that was supposed to change him when he was in the elevator and he saw that like big corpse thing? Well, no, he has the, the, the traditional ghost of Christmas future, right? Where you see your, your, your own funeral where nobody shows up and right. then you know it's like this is your future like you're you're alienating people you're you're alienating your family you don't have any friends you don't have any loved ones and the people that show up are basically just going through the motions like they're not there because they're grieving your loss as much as they're just there out of obligation and um yeah that, that whole fourth scene and then it cuts to his brother john murray at home and he's mm -hmm. watching on tv and he's like there's my brother the King of Christmas. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> like it just, uh, the whole thing just, ah, uh, the whole thing just doesn't work. So I did love the bit at the beginning where the secretary is asking him, what do you want to give these people for Christmas? Towel, VCR, mm -hmm. towel, towel. And she's rhyming down the list. I was like, I thought that was really funny because that that to me was just perfect. It was like, yeah, if I'm a super rich business executive, because at a time and again, this is out of out of date as well. Like a top of the line Pioneer VCR recorder was probably like a thousand bucks. Right. And that's an 80s money. Whereas right. the towel was probably like 10. And uh, and they bring it back kind of later when he's with his, when he sees his brothers. He's like, that was supposed to be a towel. <laughs> it was, yeah. It was like, the VCR is from my secretary. Yeah. I wanted to give you a towel. Uh, even, you even when Elfie Woodward's like later there, she's like, the mom asks, oh, are you getting a bonus? And she's like, I'm drying my hair with it. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> you got the towel. Yeah. Um, do you want to give this movie a rating out of 10? Uh, I'd probably give it a solid seven. It's good. There's room for improvement, but uh, I enjoy it enough. Like I said, I watch it once a year. And uh, despite its faults and despite sort of my recent re-examination uh, re of it, I, I still think I'll watch it again next year. Yeah. For me, like I said, I didn't hate it. I didn't like it either. I'll give it a five. So, so that's okay. two weeks now. We've done uh, holiday movies, and I've given them both fives. Well, so, I, I was going to say, you're going to hate next week then. We'll I'm, I'm really we'll hoping we're going to get into some better ones. So we'll, so we'll see. But uh, before we get to those movies, we, why don't we say we get to this? Fun with Caveman. All right. So since it was my movie uh, this week that I picked, it's over to you for trivia. So uh, what do you have for me? All right. We're going to do something completely different. Okay, cool. Um, and it's like not it. Monty Python trivia. It's not. Yeah. So, as you mentioned a couple of times during our broadcast tonight, um, A Christmas Carol is the source material for this movie. Yes. And it has been adapted 
into numerous films over the years. And so that got me thinking, what movies have been adapted into, what books rather have been adapted into movies the most? And so I found so just this really- books in general? Books that have been turned into movies and fiction, of course. Right. So I did an internet search and I found, a, uh, now this is the problem with internet is you never know, you can never trust the the answers you find on the internet. Mm-hmm. They're, sub- they're subjective. You, you, know, you have to verify it. So I, I had to do a little bit of digging and I found a site that I was fairly confident that the results were accurate. So if any of these seem a little off to you or if any of the listeners are like 100% know that some of my answers are, are incorrect, my apologies. I, I had to pick a, I had to pick one source that I felt was was good and I went with it. So okay. I found a whole bunch of lists. I, I found a list of a whole bunch of like classic novels. Okay. Like you're going to know all of these books and they've all been turned into movies a lot. And now this also include because again, my source here, this includes Hollywood movies foreign films it's even includes like tv miniseries movies um so we're sort of using films movies in the general sense and they have to be like classic novels yeah so what i'm going to do is i've paired up uh two or three movie uh, two or three classic books and i'm just going to ask you which one of the two do you think had the most adaptation so we're going to start easy because the first one's actually a three a three for and then they're all pairs. So the first one, Charles Dickens. Mm-hmm. He wrote A Christmas Carol. He wrote Great Expectations. And he wrote Oliver Twist. Those three books have been adapted into a ridiculous amount of movies. Mm-hmm. Which of those three do you think was adapted into the most movies? Christmas Carol, Great Expectations, and Oliver Twist. Got to be Christmas Carol. You're absolutely right. Yeah. According to this site, 26 different movie and television (laughs) adaptations of A Christmas Carol so far. Mm -hmm. Out of Great Expectations and Oliver Twist, which one do you think is next? Mm. I'll go with Great Expectations. You'd be wrong. uh, So this is saying that uh, Christmas Carol was 26 adaptations. Right. Oliver Twist, 19. And Great Expectations, 11. Mm. So Charles Dickens' work. Getting some love over the years. Wow. I'm just trying to think of where Oliver Twist has been done that many times. Well, but it also includes things like cartoons and reimaginings, right? right? right. So like for Christmas Carol. Just different incarnations of that story. Exactly. And in some cases, like like Scrooge is sort of a loosely based on kind of thing, right? Like I said, I I think um, A Christmas Carol was like inspiration for the Grinch, you know? Which I believe was on the list as well. So yeah. That makes sense. All right, we got a few here in a row where it's there. All the rest of these are paired up, and I just tell me which one is more or less. So, a- Alexander Dumas or Alexandre Dumas, mm-hmm. uh, he wrote The Count of Monte Cristo and The Three Musketeers. Which of those two works do you think has been adapted into film more? I will go with The Three Musketeers. Yes, it's a narrow margin, a difference of one. Three oh, Musketeers, wow. <laughs> 22 times. Count of Monte Cristo, 21 times so a lot of a lot of adaptations there again a lot of these when i was looking are in foreign language especially for some of these these books are not originally written in english so you have adaptations in the the native language Mm -hmm. victor hugo wrote the hunchback of notre dame and les miserables Mm -hmm. both of those have a lot of adaptations some of them even musical which of those two do you think was adapted more i would definitely go with the hunchback you would definitely be right. Hunchback, yeah. 13 adaptations. Mm-hmm. Les Mis, 7. Wow. All right. Mark Twain 
Mm-hmm. Oh, the Adventures one. of Huckleberry Finn yeah. and a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Ooh, Which one I do you think was definitely? I definitely want to go with Huck Finn. Yeah, that one's yeah. that was an easy one. Sixteen times for Huck mm. Finn, seven for a Connecticut Yankee yeah. in King Arthur's Court. That makes sense. All right. Now, all the rest of these I've paired up sort of loosely thematically because I don't have two by the same author anymore. So we got two about money. We have Brewster's Millions by George Barr McCrutchton and -hmm. Treasure Island by Robert Louis Stevenson. Which of those two do you think has more adaptations? Got to go with Treasure Island. Yeah. Treasure Island, 20 adaptations. This one surprised me. Brewster's Millions, 13 different movie adaptations. (laughs) Wow. I had no idea that it was. I just remember the one from with Richard Pryor and John King. So do I. And we'll have to do that. Oh, there was there was an earlier one too, but yeah, yeah, we definitely have to do that one. All right. We got uh, the Bronte sisters, uh, Jane Eyre by Charlotte Bronte Mm -hmm. and Wuthering Heights by Emily Bronte. Which one of those two has had more movie adaptations? I'm going to go with Jane Eyre. Yes. 23 for Jane Eyre and only 11 for Wuthering Mm -hmm. Heights. All right. We got a pair of Russians. Leo Tolstoy's Anna Karenina and Fyodor Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment. Which one? Ooh, Crime and Punishment was definitely the better book, but I'm going to go with Anna Karenina. Nope, should have trusted your instinct. Crime and Punishment, 33 times. It was number one. Every site I went to, that was the number one across every website, a book that's been in that has inspired the most movie adaptations. Well, yeah, I guess inspired. Like, I'm just trying to think. I don't know of any incarnations of that as a film, but I mean, maybe just versions of it or stuff that was inspired by it or, or sections of it. Yeah. yeah. So it was 33 Such a for good crime. book, though. Oh, my God. Th- it was so 33 good. for Crime and Punishment, 15 for Anna Karenina. All right, we got two spooky tales here. We've got uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes, The Hound of the Baskervilles, and uh, Gaston LaRue's The Phantom of the Opera. Ooh, I got to go with Phantom. Yeah, that was an easy one. 26 adaptations of Phantom, Mm -hmm. only eight for Hound of the Baskervilles. All right, we got a couple thrillers. Bram Stoker's Dracula or H.G. Wells' The Island of Dr. Moreau? Oh, got to go with Dracula. Yes, but not by as much as you think. Dracula is 13 and mm-hmm. the island of Dr. Moreau is seven. So not as big wow. a gap as you might expect. All right. Uh, we got two stories about a uh, man out of place. Uh, the boy who wants to be a man. So we got uh, the adventures of Pinocchio and Tarzan of the Apes. Ooh, I'm going to go with Tarzan. No. Oh. Pinocchio. Wow. 15 for Pinocchio and nine for Tarzan. Wow. The, there was They did have the one with Bo Derek, though. All right. Mm-hmm. I'll take your word for it. I don't remember. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. She did Pinocchio? No, 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 no. But she made Pinocchio's nose grow. Oh, my, my, my. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. This one's going to be a tough one. A couple of uh, classic adventures. Jules Verne, Around the World in 80 Days, mm-hmm. and Daniel Defoe's Robinson Crusoe. Ooh, they're both very similar. similar the difference is one. I'm going to go with Around the World in 80 Days. No. Robinson Crusoe for eight and around the world for 80 days is seven. All right. My last one about uh, two ladies done wrong here. Mm-hmm. Madame Bovary mm-hmm. and the Scarlet Letter. I'm going to go with the Scarlet Letter. Yeah. Scarlet Letter mm-hmm. was 11 and Madame Bovary was nine. Oh, close. 
And then I had a couple other ones that I'm not going to quiz you on, but just mm -hmm. were sort of rounding out the list. We got down to the thing. Uh, White Fang by Jack London, 11 mm -hmm. adaptations. Last of the Mohicans, 10. Uh, Don Quixote, 8. Little Women, 7. And Vanity Fair, 7. Wow. Yeah, wow. I was I was really surprised when I was looking through some of these. It was like, uh, but uh, yeah, Crime and Punishment, hands down the winner. But A Christmas Carol was way up there on most of the lists. So. Yeah, it's it just that there's such a classic story. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's a holiday story. And we've said that before, like mm -hmm. holiday films tend to do well. So because there's a financial incentive for those, I think that they get greenlit by studios a lot more often. It's, yeah. it's usually a safe bet. So. Okay, so um, we're going back and forth with uh, holiday movies celebrating major milestone anniversaries. We're coming up to Christmas. So uh, back over to you. Do you want to nominate another film that's celebrating a major milestone anniversary? Absolutely. I know that uh, we'll often do two movies and then a topic, but I mm -hmm. think as we, as we uh, you know, head into Christmas, I, yeah. we got a few Christmas movies celebrating some big yeah. milestones. So let's go through them. I, I'm going to go to one that I, honestly, I'm going to be shocked if you've seen this before. It's celebrating its 20th anniversary. Also came out in 2003, just like Love Actually, which we did last week. This is uh, this one stars Billy Bob Thornton. It's called Bad Santa. Oh, funny enough. My wife had mentioned that one the other day. I have never seen it. When so, we were talking about, uh, you know, the podcast and I was like, oh, Derek wants me to watch this movie from 2003. And she's like, oh, bad Santa. I'm like, nope, nope. We're watching Love Actually. So that's interesting. That'll be good. Like, I've, yeah, I've never seen so it. So I, bad Santa is from 2003. It's an R-rated comedy. So okay. hopefully that'll, you know, even if you don't love it, there'll be some funny parts in it for you. Mm -hmm. I've only seen it. A handful is there of times. boobs in it, though? I believe there are, but it's so been a while so since. both of the films that you've nominated so far, they're Christmas films, both have boobs in them. Well, I, again, I haven't seen Bad Santa in a while, but I'm fairly certain there's a couple of scenes in a strip club, so I gotta think there are some <laughs> some boobs in there. But uh, so yeah, R-rated comedy, and they made a sequel. There's Bad Santa Two, which I honestly have never seen. But after I watched Bad Santa this week, I think we're going to go watch Bad Santa 2 just because I've always been I've always wanted to watch it and I've never had a chance to. So but yeah, for next week, the original Bab Santa, Billy Bob Thornton, John Ritter. Um, I so Billy Bob like, Thornton was also in your movie from last week too with Love Actually. That's right. He, he was, was the president. president. That's right. Yeah. This will be interesting. OK, so we will watch Bad Santa from 2003. We'll come yeah. back next anniversary. next time. Uh, and we will review the movie. But until then, I'm Chris McBride, and you are Derek Myers, and we're both saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.